Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I am Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the Vice Chair of Education for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, thanks for being here with us again this week, Dr. Maurice. Yeah, it's my pleasure, as always. <laughs> So in the COVID-19 testing landscape, we see that testing volumes continue to be high here at Mayo Clinic and across the country, and we're seeing some worrisome trends about outbreaks across the country. Can you tell us how lab testing capacity is in general at Mayo Clinic and across the United States? Well, you know, it's a very interesting question. I think on the one side, we have seen uh, what I would call an industry-wide response, and meaning it's not just the labs, but it's actually the people manufacturing the tests that have really geared up and, and over a very short period of time done a lot to change their manufacturing base to be focused on COVID-19 testing. And that does has led to an increased availability. Uh, you know, just last week I did the press conference with Governor Walls where we uh, celebrated, if you will, or at least announced that we had reached the moonshot goal of 20,000 tests a, uh, available daily to Minnesotans to help manage the pandemic. The challenge, however, is that that has been achieved through basically pivoting both the labs as well as the test manufacturers solely to this purpose um, at the highest volume. And so making the change at, while we're also running at the highest possible volumes, both from a manufacturing testing perspective, that means that there's still some instabilities, just as we saw in the early days. It's basically like you're running a machine and machine uh, full bore 24 seven. And with that and with the outbreaks that you've mentioned, we were now seeing again, a spike in demand for testing, which is appropriate to try and help manage these outbreaks, but it's, it's really putting it stress back onto an already stressed system. So I, I honestly, as, as we sit um, here today, it doesn't feel, it feels a little bit like it did in the early days of April when we were just trying to stand up some testing capacity to start to get a, to manage the hospitalized patients. So it continues to be uh, something of a roller coaster of matching supply to demand. You know, I think that's a great point. Everyone had, I think, hoped that we had already would be past the first wave by this point, but we're really not seeing that. It's really kind of a continuous uh, wave with peaks and dips, but it's it's continuing onward. So it seems like the the command the demand for testing has continued, and of course now we're also seeing other things coming up that are pulling the lab staff in different directions. In my lab, as you know, parasite testing. Um, we're seeing a big outbreak of cyclospora uh, infections in the Midwest. And that's a parasite found in bagged salad, uh, usually imported from uh, parts of South and Central America. And, you know, we're trying to balance how do we test for the routine stuff in addition to meeting COVID demands. Yeah, so, it's, 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 it's a concerning trend in, in terms of uh, the need to do more and more COVID testing uh, and again, I think people should bear in mind that the demand for COVID testing is linked back to our behaviors, right? I think the wave nomenclature is now becoming somewhat problematic 
uh, because it feels like it's something beyond our control. The reality mm -hmm. that more people do social distancing and masking and combine that with testing, the more we can mitigate the demand for increased testing. And we've seen that in our own state uh, where we've done this since early April under the leadership of Commissioner Malcolm from the Department of Health and others, uh, including Mayo and the University of Minnesota. So there's that. And then you lay on the back of that and all the other healthcare needs that are coming back up. And of course, there's, I think, a lot of concern out there for the next, where will we be with COVID when we start to see the seasonal respiratory viruses come up, which again will cause a spike in demand because you have more people exhibiting symptoms, uh, which may or may not be attributable to COVID, but we'll need to figure that out. So given that background, um, there's lots of great points there. How should we be using testing to manage this COVID-19 outbreak? Well, I think it's become really important to understand what the testing can and can't do, and then pair that with the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. And we've had people approach us about this. Um, actually, many have probably seen one of the companies that we announced a partnership with is Delta. So it's beyond testing. What we're doing with Delta was really they, they came to us and said, how can we help keep our passengers and workforce safe from COVID-19? And so really that's a combination of the testing, but it's also how you use the data from the testing to guide where you need to do more testing and also how effective are your mitigation strategies to need to do testing by protecting people with distancing, masking, uh, environmental safety at measures. So to me, that's really the next wave that we'll see here. Uh, sorry to use the wave nomenclature. <laughs> the next iteration of testing is really to combine that with data and analytics real time to guide where the testing needs to go and really use it in a much more focused way. That's to me the only path forward to really keep people as safe as possible, do as much testing as possible and not overwhelm the system. And hopefully I think with this, we'll also see an increased demand for serologic testing. I do think we need to be doing as much as molecular is overwhelmed. Uh, globally, we've seen sort of an underwhelming demand, if you will, for serologic testing which I think, again, is going to be really important to give us information as we look at the next wave of, of just respiratory viruses. If we have some data on serology and seroprevalence of COVID, that might help us know there might be some populations that need to be more worried about doing COVID testing than others just based on the amount number of people who are immune to COVID. So, or at least been exposed to COVID and have some level of immunity. Yeah, so that's um, the partnership you mentioned. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Because it was recently announced and not everyone may have seen those announcements with what we're doing with Delta. No, it's a great, uh, really great partnership. So uh, again, they approached us and the beauty of Mayo Clinic, of course, is we are an integrated practice. It really started at it with a conversation between Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, and Dr. Frugia, our CEO of Mayo Clinic, talking about how Delta and Mayo might work together to address the challenges that they faced as an airline industry. Um, interestingly, as I mentioned, that is an industry that is very used to using data and analytics to predict safety, right? Um, much more around air travel safety than infection control safety. But so what evolved out of those conversations was they realized that the integrated nature of Mayo meant that we didn't just do testing, but we also worked with infectious disease control to understand how to use testing in our own hospitals, how to use protective measures and, and understand how effective those were. Also how to use data to model out what the demand might be for our hospital services. So it was really a collaboration between the Mayo Clinic practice led by Dr. Amy Williams, Dr. Henry Ting, who's our chief value officer of our Mayo Clinic, who has been creating the data analytic models 
and the modeling to help protect our own facilities and how we might use those same capabilities in working with Delta and then the labs to actually do the testing for them uh, and organize some events. And we're not an exclusive testing partner. It's, they have a big workforce, so, but it's more around guiding them and particularly in areas that are close to our facilities. Minneapolis, we help them do testing. Detroit, we've helped them do testing. So we're helping to do all, all phases in a very integrated way. But it's about testing, having, and now we have even an advisory board where we can take back the results, help them understand what they mean for their workforce and for their travelers, and then also help them understand how effective some of the measures they're putting in place are. And they've invested a lot in keeping people safe. You know, that's a great example of how they're using data in a very thoughtful and deliberate manner and not just testing people randomly and, uh, and then thinking that that's somehow going to clear everyone, but monitoring the trends and looking at percent positivity rates. So that's, I think, a great example of how we would want to use testing and not just have this widespread thought that everyone wants to get tested. I tell... Yeah. A lot of my friends and colleagues that say, well, they want to get tested. And I say, well, what do you want to get out of that test result? Because it's just a point in time. If you get a PCR test, you get a positive or a negative result. That's good for that day. It doesn't mean you could go out and stop wearing a mask um, because you happen to be negative now. You could get infected tomorrow. Yep. It doesn't mean, and also we know that it's not 100% sensitive. So it doesn't even right. mean that they're absolutely, we can say it was absolute certainty they don't have the virus. And I do think that's one reason why Mayo Clinic has been kind of pulled into the national spotlight with this whole pandemic is the integrated nature of our practice. And also because of that, on the laboratory side, we tend to think a lot more about what the testing can and can't inform from a decision-making perspective as opposed to just individual results. And there are a lot of people now really looking at data and big data as a solution around um, managing the pandemic. And so I think it's important that the labs this is something that you and I've talked about a lot, is to really have laboratorians seen as information scientists that understand how to use the lab to drive decision-making, not just produce test results. And I do think this is a real opportunity for our profession to kind of reclaim that high ground, if you will. Yeah, I agree. I think it's worth repeating too. The laboratorians are the subject matter experts on the tests that we offer. And so being able to be at the table and say what a test can and cannot tell you through a result. And also some uncertainty or to talk about the fact that it's not always a black and white answer. That if you get a negative result, that doesn't necessarily mean that a patient is not infected with COVID-19, for example, because of the sensitivity issues that you mentioned. It's not 100%, and there's never going to be a test that has 100% sensitivity and specificity. It's really interesting that you mentioned that, Bobby, because one of the things that I've seen emerging out of this is that, you know, from a medical perspective, we tend to think in more absolutes and differential diagnosis. Uh, from, a, from thinking about COVID, the, the group that I'm finding more and more resonating with that sort of perspective are actually economics and, the, and economists, right? Because they're used to dealing with uncertainty and how uncertainty models and drives human behavior. So now as they're thinking about how we use testing to reopen economies, they're, kinda, they're very much more comfortable with this idea that tests can and can't do certain things. And we should think about that as we look at testing to drive behaviors. Um, which is really what we're talking about in terms of reopening um, economies. So it's an, it, that, there's a lot of interesting things about the labs and diagnostics that will be left post-COVID that, that weren't there prior. Well, 
I think it shows the strength of that multidisciplinary approach that we use at Mayo and we're so used to really being expanded out to the country and to the world as a whole because you need the economists and you need the, the patient-facing physicians, you need the subject matter experts from the lab, you need all of these people working together to figure out a large question like how to reopen the economy. Exactly. Yeah, very much. Couldn't say it better myself, so I won't. <laughs> so let's see if I can summarize, because we've talked about a lot of really good points. So first of all, we probably shouldn't use the term wave in talking about this ongoing COVID outbreak, because we can clearly see that our behaviors make a difference. It's We're not powerless in this. And the wave, if you think of it like that, with peaks and dips, um, are really controlled by our behaviors, and we can get the numbers down if we are responsible and really stick with hand washing, uh, safe distancing, and mask wearing. Um, how did I do? Did I say that okay? You said it perfect. <laughs> and then I think the other major point coming out of this is just how to use the data because the demand for testing is going to outstrip the capacity and we're seeing demand rise, but testing needs to be done in a thoughtful, rational way and the data needs to be analyzed like what we're doing with the Delta partnership where Delta is actually using the data and analyzing it and trying to identify trends uh, for their specific population. Other employers could consider a similar approach but just the big data analytics can help drive, um, well, can help identify trends and drive actions. Yep, I agree. And I think the only thing I would add to that is just like with everything in the labs is think about the outcomes you're driving towards, right? right. So an outcome is, 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 it should be a measurable outcome and not, not a feeling of safety, which is not a measurable outcome. Right, very good point. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Bill. Lots of great points in our talk today. So I look forward to talking to you again next week. Yeah, me too. I guess I'm not, we're not running out of things to talk about. So nope. that's good, I guess. <laughs> yep. I, I think if our listeners enjoy hearing us, I guess that'll be going on for a while now. I agree. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.